2: And I'm Karen Chatton from Gardnerville, Nevada, and you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for May 9th, episode 3179. Good morning, Horse World.
1: When your start time's on Saturday and your finish time's on Sunday, and it doesn't get much better than best conditioned, and completing the challenge is the challenge, you're an endurance rider. Welcome back, Karen. Karen stops by the second Tuesday of every month here on Horses in the Morning, and we chat about all things endurance. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And warning, fair warning, if you're not an endurance rider, we talk about lots of things that involve endurance that are also very useful for everyone else. And today's training tip is one of those. You're going to talk about pacing, which applies to everybody. And then we are also going to chat with our guests who are long riders, which means you ride Thousands of miles instead of hundreds, like typical endurance riders, Louisa and Pete. And then at the end of the show, we're going to chat with a really interesting guest, Becky Pierman, who is a photographer, but she's going to talk about how you as a rider can end up with a great picture by saying cheese in just the right way. Great guests as usual. And this is the part of the show where we catch up on Karen's adventures because endurance riders have some of the best adventures in the universe. What have you been up to <laughs> I've since been- last month's First Tuesday? I-
2: I know I've been actually riding Jovi quite a lot. I've been trailering him. He's now trailering and he's loading like a pro. I'm able to take him out and ride him like anywhere. I've been taking him actually on trails that are popular with mountain bikes. Or it's always off-road. dicey when you get started. It can be, especially if you're on the edge of a trail with that's narrow with the big drop off on the side of a mountain. But he handles it just like he's been doing it forever. He's wonderful. Um, on this weekend, we took I took him out to this new trail, our Carson Valley Trails Association opened up a new section of trail. So I was able to go and ride thirteen over thirteen miles of just single track trails. It was just wonderful. The footing was good the whole way. There were no washouts or dips, uh, no motorized vehicles, which was nice. But there were lots of mountain bikes and hikers and joggers. And we encountered dozens of people and he never flinched at any of them. I was so excited with how well he's doing. And he's going in a hackamore. Which is really, really great. so we're we're having lots and lots and lots of fun.
1: So why do you prefer a hackamore over a bit?
2: Uh, um, it, well, it, you know, I mean, they want to tell you all the time that a horse might be able to eat or drink better with a hackamore more than a bit. But I think it's really the horse's preference because I used to ride chief in a bit and he ate and drank as well or better than any horse I've ever seen. So, you know, it's just a little bit, um, kind of in a way you feel like it's a little bit nicer for the horse because he can, um, you know, eat without having anything in their mouth. It, so you it, know, it's one and, of those, maybe it helps, maybe it doesn't, but just in
1: case, if he likes to go in a hackamore, go there.
2: Okay. It, exactly. You know, and that's the thing. And you need to have a horse that you can still rate without having them pull your arms out, of course. And so he seems to be doing quite well with it. I've ridden him in several rides. You know, the thing with the younger horse um, or greener horse is, You don't want them to get their head down if they get too frisky and start to buck or something. So pulling their head up with something like a hackamore can be a lot more of a challenge than if they have a bit in their mouth. That's a good point. Yes. So, um, but he's been doing really, really well with it. I've ridden him on several rides alone. Um through some pretty dicey stuff and he's just doing terrific with the hackamore. So I'm glad of that. We entered the virtual Tevis and this month I am now, it started in April and so far I'm up to 85 miles, which puts us at Francisco's. So I've only got 15 more miles to go. Um,
1: When does the actual Tevis happen?
2: uh, July 29th. You're going to be able to ride it twice. <laughs> I don't think we're going to be ready to ride the actual Tevis. No, yet, I mean but, the, the virtual yeah. one. You'll have time to do it twice. I, I can, or I can do it again on Apollo, maybe. So <gasps> that'd
1: be fun. Yeah. Now, pa- Apollo is not quite as far along in his journey towards doing the longer rides
2: well i think he's gonna be more suitable because he kind of does have that old stifle injury he's gonna be sound enough to do limited distance which he has done um you know he came through the last one we did very well and he's doing really really great it's just that his the friend that rides him with me uh she went on vacation and then she and ended up getting covid so bummer i I know so i've been doing double duty i've been riding both horses so i've been riding apollo also as well and he's doing well he's also been going in a hackamore for probably the last year and and he does real. he's really easy to rate he's very strong and forward but he lets you rate him um you know he does really well with with the hackamore and stuff so So, which of
1: the two, uh, Jovi is an Arabian and Uh, Apollo is an Arabian thoroughbred cross, mm -hmm. which one, you said that Apollo is a little easier to rate than
2: Jovi is? Uh, It's not that he's easier to rate, he's more forward. He, you know, he's more of a, like a souped up sports car, Mm -hmm. you know, where, you know, you're like riding on the gas and the brake at the same time, kind of. So he lets you rate him really well with just one hand on the reins. Whereas with Jovi, he's still learning. He's still learning how... You know, what speed I want him to go with, how to maintain, like if I only want him trotting at eight miles an hour, that we're not suddenly trotting 13 miles an hour. So it, it's see. taking a little more effort on the rider's part just because he's still learning where I, where, I, and he, you know, he and I are both learning each other with what's comfortable for him without overstressing him or overdoing it. Mm-hmm. So we're still, we're still getting there. So with,
1: with the, Virtual Tevis, which I find fascinating. Uh, The whole, the concept of doing it. And I think the Tevis ride does the best job of any of inviting the universe to come and watch a sport Mm -hmm. that really isn't spectator friendly. Endurance consists of... Five horses trotting past you every 15 minutes, and then every three hours, a group of 20 horses trotting past you. And this happens for 24 (laughs) hours straight. It's just not a spectator sport. But they're using technology, and they're using social media in such a great way that it's really fun to watch Tevis. And
2: explain how virtual Tevis works. Okay, so you go and you sign up. And it's a reasonable fee. I think it's like $65. And you get your choice this year of like a t-shirt or a little Tevis buckle medal kind of thing. Um, And then you get your choice of t-shirts too. So, and then what you do, it started on a certain date, and you have 100 days to complete your 100 miles. And you can sign up as a riding division or a walking division or even a non-horse walking division. So um, then you can you log your miles. You can actually use an app or a GPS and upload your actual files, or you can just manually enter what you did each time you do a ride, uh, and it accumulates, it counts up your mileage and your elevation and the time it took, and you enter that all in, and it uh, ki- and every time you reach a milestone that if you were riding the Tevis, say, for example, you reach Cougar Rock on, you know, the, the same mileage that you've ridden so, as so if, Tevis is. if Cougar,
1: if Cougar it, Rock was... Twenty-eight miles in, exactly. you get twenty-eight miles in your virtual ride.
2: How does how do they it, celebrate they, those? They, they reward you with a little badge that tells you, you know, the mileage and then the um the significance of the landmark where you just reached. And so you get that, and then if you want, you can share it on social media, and everybody. And that's the kind of cool thing. You've got all these people; they're getting out, they're riding, they've got a goal now they're inspired to go and participate and then they're sharing not just the the milestones that they reach as they go but they're also sharing photos of their rides so people are sharing rides from all over the country and all over the world
1: that's really cool yeah that's really cool
2: that they do that and it it is it's a lot of fun
1: because not everybody can get to tevis and not not everybody not every horse can get or do tevis but this is a great way to enjoy that accomplishment and they have a lot of great graphics and a lot of great pictures and stuff so
2: right and you learn about the trail you learn yeah. the history of the trail and the locations and each time you meet re- reach one of those milestones you are, you can click on it and you can go read about it you can watch videos view the pictures and see what the actual trail is like you know should you be yeah actually on it if that's what you wanted to do so it's it's kind of a cool thing pretty cool stuff and again
1: the real tevis happens when
2: july 29th so that that
1: doesn't happen till july which will be thoroughly bug season so that sounds like a great (laughs) time to take a break and we're going to hear from one of our sponsors spalding fly predators and we'll be right back with the endurance tip
3: if you have one or two horses or you have 20 30 or more fly predators will make the difference between heavy infested fly problem or a no-fly zone. Balding lab fly predators catching these flies before they become an issue.
1: Today's tip. Karen always has a tip for us for endurance riders, and I alluded to earlier that this tip is going to be great for riders of all sorts because we're going to be talking about pacing. No, that's not the gait that certain standard bred race horses <laughs> use. It's the ability to know and understand the significance of the speed you are going at any given time and for how long. So what inspired this tip, by the way?
2: Well, I've been working Jovi up. We've been building our endurance and also setting a you know, steady pace, trying to keep consistent, building them up over time. And I'm starting to think, oh, look, you know, I know he can get through a limited distance ride um, very well because we've done it. You know, we've done one and we've also done training rides of that distance. And now I'm thinking of moving him up, you know, figuring, can he do a 50? So in order to kind of calculate that out, if you're kind of a techno nerd, like a lot of us are these days, it, you know, there's so much technology out there that can help us, our smartwatches, our cell phones with our apps, GPSs, that will help us calculate our miles per hour and what we're moving and what we're averaging. And I've talked before a little bit about what our moving average is um, versus overall, because you have to also kind of calculate in how much time you spend talking. You know, if you stop and you're talking with other people, or even just stopping for your horse to drink, or pee, or have a snack, whatnot, you've got to calculate that into your average moving time. So what I've been doing with Jovi, I'm trying to sort out how much, you know, what, how long is it taking us, Say this weekend, I rode 13 miles, it took me two hours and one minute. So I'm averaging over six, six and a half miles an hour. So to calculate that out, if I were to do a 50, that would give me about an eight and a half between eight and a half and nine hour ride time. And then once you add in your holes, say I have an hour and a half of hold times on that, that gives me 10, 10 and a half hours total, which gives me a nice cushiony window between the 10, 10 and a half hours and 12 hours that you're allowed to complete the 50, right? So it gives you a little bit of cushion. And that's kind of my goal if I'm going to be taking them on a 50. I want to be able to figure out that he's capable of maintaining this moving miles per hour that we can average on our training rides, right? Does that does that yep. kind of make sense to you, Jennifer?
1: That makes sense. It may, okay. I, okay. User error, I was had myself on mute. Sorry. Just like yep. in if you are doing a jumping event, for example, hunters. You don't school at home at three foot and then show at three foot. You always want to be able to mm-hmm. school and be comfortable at a level slightly lower than what you compete at. So it makes perfect sense that as you're um, getting him geared up and getting him more fit and teaching him how to pace properly, that you say to yourself, oh, wow, it's going to take me I, – I can manage it in 12 hours. I need to do a 50. No, (laughs) you need, and because you're an experienced rider, you know what kind of padding it is. So that two hours or so padding makes sense to you. So if you were getting a horse ready to do their first 50 and deciding whether or not they're ready, if you only had a 45 minute padding, that really doesn't say to you, "Mm, we're setting ourselves up to success.
2: Right. You know, and it's going to depend on. The type of ride you're going to, the weather conditions, you know, how much elevation there is, stuff like that. Is it going to be a warm day and your horse still has a winter coat? So there's a lot of stuff to calculate in. One of the things that I that I have found that I r- really benefit from is the technology part of this. Like the Ride with GPS app just did an update and now you can set the settings so it can talk to you on your phone or through your smartwatch if your smartwatch allows you to add apps to it but it it, you can set it at intervals so i've set mine at one mile intervals so every mile it tells me i've gone another mile it will also tell me how long it took me to do that mile that's really cool isn't it it is and that yeah as well as the um the elevation that i did so like if i'm riding jovi and i know i'm averaging say It took me 15 minutes to do this mile. Well, that's only four miles an hour. And that might be fine for certain terrain that's very challenging or something. Or I know I slowed down for another reason or something. Like he's munching his way down the trail. Um, or drinking a lot and it's slowing us down. Well, I think, okay, that's fine, but I need to get a move on if I'm going to get my average up to where it needs to be in order to finish in time. So, if I know I'm doing, say, um, a, a mile in 10 minutes, that's great because now that's averaging six miles an hour. And so, the the app kind of lets me know, okay, I'm I'm Going, you know, fast enough or too fast or not fast enough. And I can kind of work on averaging out without it being like I just did the whole loop too slow or the whole loop too fast on you a can ride. can make micro adjustments. I can make micro adjustments yeah. as I go. Exactly. Right. And so then the last part of this tip is if you're going to an endurance ride, uh, whatever distance, go to AARC.org. And look up that the history on the ride you're going to and check out the ride times for the fastest and the slowest plus the middle pack riders. And then calculate what their average miles per hour is. And then this gives you an idea of what you need to train for based on your goals and where you want to finish. You know, you may already be more advanced and you want to ride up in the front. And, and this way you know what it takes to Have your horse prepared so that you can run up front or middle of the pack or near the end. And um, also, the other thing is go over, if you can, two or three years of time. That way, if there's a discrepancy, like one year they had to reroute trail or they had some extreme weather or something, you can kind of look at what the actual average is over time, not just for one single time if that's possible because a lot of our rides have been going on for many years and so that's a really great asset to have to be able to go look that up and then work that into your conditioning and training and preparation for your own self and your own horse and I'm sure the the topic of pacing will come up again and again because it is a
1: a key aspect of endurance riding but as again if you are an eventer Understanding how fast you're going and understanding how much that speed takes out of your horse, important. If you're doing show hunters, that applies to the warm-up area. If if you're warming up your horse and you're Mm -hmm. doing X, Y, Z, you need to understand how much that takes out of your horse and be able to compete appropriately. So, speaking of learning more, time for us
2: to get Kristen from the Distance Depot on and find out what's going on over there. And we have Kristen with us from the Distance Depot this morning. Kristen, I understand we're going to talk about saddle pads.
4: Yes, that sounds great. Um, Good morning. How are you?
2: We're good. Good. Um, You guys have a lot of choices in saddle pads.
4: We do. And we get calls all the time um, from people who are just overwhelmed with all of the choices. Mm -hmm. And. I have to agree. There are a ton of choices out there anymore. Back when I competed, you know, 25 years ago in big barns that I trained at, all we had were toe wool back pads.
2: Uh-huh. They're awesome.
4: <laughs> I, I love those pads. I mean, that you can throw them in the wash and throw them on multiple horses back and forth. And people are afraid of that wool back material because it's kind of creamy color and they think, oh my gosh, it's going to get so dirty. It's really easy to care for. It is, Um, and it lasts forever. It does, yeah. Mm -hmm. And they're just great universal pads. We have all styles to go under most pads, oversized dressage, English. Um, We even have Western wool backs. So a pad like that can't be beat. Um, For the price point, it's a really nice pad. If you need more protection or if you're having back issues, I mean, we have brands, um, saddle pads from brands like Back on Track, so they offer some um, blood circulation um, material. It's called Weltex, and so it's known to increase the blood circulation and relieve sore muscles and so on. Um, there's also line and SuperCore. Um, and and they all they both have their properties which are you know good depending on your needs. The supercore are antimicrobial. You throw them on the horse's back, um, rinse them off. It's super easy to care for and great saddle pads that also last a long time. Um, we have Skeeto saddle pads and lots of different varieties and they come with inserts. And mostly they're used, I would say overall, as a general thing they're used on saddle with saddles like the bob marshall
1: Mm -hmm. tree list
4: um i know a lot of those people so we have a pad specifically made for the bob marshall's actually a couple pads and then we have the ones that go under endurance saddles too and people really love them and they're easy to care for and they do have the inserts as i mentioned so great um back protection if you're having trouble with sore backs and so on um But I would say these days, top-of-the-line saddle pad, I get that question. Which one should I have? Uh I'm going to recommend the Matrix T3 just because of the inserts in that pad. Um, They offer two types, and we do have a video showing um, the impact protection on the different types of inserts. So if you click on the um, Pro inserts or the Ortho T3 insert, we do have a video showing you that you can watch. It shows you the different um, foams on the market. But this um, pad allows you to use it with or without inserts. But I prefer the Pro um, insert because it has the Pour-On XRD, which is super impact protection, and it's perforated. So air goes through the pad as well as through the spine because the inserts don't touch at the spine, so it allows the heat to escape. Um, But the PORON XRD is unparalleled in in our industry just because it has that um, super absorption of kinetic energy that the horse throws up through the saddle to you and you vice versa down
2: through the Mm -hmm. saddle to the
4: horse. So it's really top of the line. um, And the fact that it's perforated and the heat can escape is just super for our, our industry.
2: Right. A yeah, I've seen demos at shows of those inserts, yeah. and they're yes. really it, wonderful. How they absorb all that concussion.
4: They it, it is. Yeah, and I think um, Choclat even does it with a bowling ball. We show yes, it with a ball that's bearing. what I've seen.
2: Uh-huh. A little less dramatic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but,
4: <laughs> but still, um, you know, gets the point across. But it, it is pretty amazing. They are great saddle pads, and 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 made with the wool back or the cool back. And the coolback is a synthetic material, um, hospital grade, so top of the line synthetic. Um, so, all of those chocolate pads, being coolbacks, woolbacks, any of those um, are always a pretty good choice.
2: Yes, they are. They are. Well, tell us how, how would somebody get in touch with you?
4: Well, they can visit us at www.thedistancedepot.com or give us a call. And don't forget, it's Mother's Day. I don't know. Hopefully, this airs before <laughs> Mother's Day. Um, but you can always get a gift certificate if you're not sure what to get. And we can send that out quickly for a last-minute gift.
2: Well, well, thank you so much for joining us today, Kristen. Thank you. Thanks, Kristen. And our next guest this morning are Louisa and Pete Bridal, who are long drive. Long riders currently living in Germany, and they are planning another long ride coming up across Europe. They place a big emphasis on horse welfare, and they have previously traveled, among many other excursions, 780 days from Mongolia to Germany. They've written multiple books, they coach other long riders, and have developed gear that is appropriate for such long horseback treks. So, uh, thank you for joining us, Louisa and Pete. Good Good morning. How are you?
3: Well, good afternoon from here. <laughs> good afternoon. Here. Um, we're both very well, thank you.
2: Okay, Pete, tell us about your upcoming trip that you're planning.
3: Well, uh, we've um, we've had a lot of failures in the past. Um, we look back on on the things we did, and, and we sort of realize how much we've grown and. And and we've never tried to be like the best long riders in the world or anything like that. But we've we've always tried to be better than we were yesterday on the last trip and 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 this trip. Um, we really feel like this is our coming of age. Uh, we met nearly four years ago in Mongolia just by complete random chance, uh, and we've reached the point with our riding that that we've got the right horses, the right gear, and we actually have the right start point. Um, we are right on the edge of the, the biggest national park in, in all of Western Europe, and we plan to, to sort of ride through that, uh, through the Czech Republic, uh, down into Austria, across to Slovakia, and then up to Poland. And we're going to do it in two parts this year. We're, we're planning on doing uh, six weeks uh, for the first one, about 1,600 to maybe 1,200 kilometres, so it's at like seven, 800 miles, so not mm-hmm. a very big ride. Um, and the whole idea of this one is is basically a shakedown before the bigger one in uh, autumn, sorry, the fall. Uh, the, it's pretty hot here in summer. There's lots of bugs, like really, it's, it's pretty rough. And uh, yeah, for, for um, autumn, sorry, the fall, uh, we're going to ride across Austria through Slovenia uh, down to Croatia, uh, just mess around in the Mediterranean, then come back up uh, across Hungary, uh, we're going to push the horses a bit more in Hungary. And then, yeah, come back through Slovakia to, yeah, home here in Germany. So they're our, our rides for this year.
2: Okay, louisa uh, tell us about the horses that you're going to be riding.
5: Um, so Peter's riding his um, Cabreraan Arabian cross that he has been traveling with for the past two years. We picked him up in Turkey and he rode him two years ago from Bulgaria up to Germany, and my horse is a bit of a um,
3: mud blood mud
5: blood, <laughs> but he has an M, um, what is it called?
3: Thoroughbred Connemara quarter horse
5: ish thing. Yeah, he's <laughs> wow, he's he's quite the mixture.
3: Yep,
5: yes, he is,
3: <laughs> and he, quite the character.
5: He is quite a character. Um, and yes, we've, we only got him last year in summer. So for him, it's only, um, it will only be his second long ride. And yeah, so I'm very excited to take him into this year after getting to know him a bit better. I mean, for Pete knowing his horse was last year already a big change to the year before. So I'm very excited to see,
3: um, what we can do this year.
2: Okay. And Louisa, tell us about your dog.
3: Oh, <laughs> um, how long do you have
5: <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no it's it's a bit of a um hard topic at the moment because the little girl is nine and a half years. I picked her up eight eight years ago in Australia, and she has been with me ever since we have been traveled all over the world. <laughs> And she has been running next to the horses um for the past four years since we've been like Peter and me have been traveling together. But unfortunately she this winter she really got old. Aww. And yeah, we're at the point where we think you, you're gonna have to retire the choice we mm-hmm. can do is to yes, yeah, retire her with my mum while we're on the road. So um, this is also while we will do to smaller trips rather than push for something bigger, just to spend as much time with Jill as possible, but also give as much quality time and riding with the boys in. Right. so we're a whole team, so we just try to balance it out, um, so that it's fair to everyone. So yeah, that will be the first ride without her, and I'm a bit scared about it.
3: I'm just I just get sad every time
5: yeah. I think about it. Yeah. But yeah, she's she I, I don't know how she has how she came that far, she, <laughs> she's
2: an <laughs> idiot. <laughs> 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 but I love the two bits. So Pete, tell us, what have you been doing to get prepared as far as getting the horses conditioned?
3: Well, I think it all starts with self-evaluation. Um, I mean, it's that whole thing If I see so often people say their horses being naughty or anything like that. We don't look at horsemanship that way anytime the horse does something we look at that as a direct response to something we've done and we've evaluated as much as we could our saddle fit uh the feet everything from the bridles to to the way we deal with the bugs just everything we've evaluated first and foremost and that's where our training has started and we've questioned everything we've ever done but from there um once we got the saddle fit right and we're still working on the saddle fit Um, we've really just done sort of basic conditioning. We're just wanting the horses to strengthen themselves up, carry us properly, just have their heads in the right place, their feet in the right place, and go from a winter of spending 70% of their weight on the the front feet to engaging the rears and just carrying us properly. Would you agree that's really sort of been our focus, Lou? Just the, the sort of the hill work, gentle hill work, and just being out and just doing the job so there's nothing really spectacular we've done. It's just basics, 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 and constant mm-hmm. self-evaluation and self-reflection. Just every time something happens, we look at what we could have done better. We never blame the horse, and we are just constantly asking questions because even if even if someone doesn't know everything, they might know one little thing we don't know. And if you ask, ask 100 people, you know, you can really start to form a picture of where you can improve. And that's the that's the big thing we're trying to do is just improve as, as individual horsemen and, and as a team. So, yeah.
2: Okay. Okay. Louisa, how far are you planning to ride each day?
5: <laughs> um, how far is it good for the horses would be the answer. Like it depends so much on the pasture, on the actual ground, on like rest days we had. It it depends on like everything. So I always say we we normally do between twenty and forty kilometers.
3: <laughs> so, but um, twenty miles. Okay. 20, 20 miles would be average for days that we're riding, but we don't ride every day. And Louisa said that perfectly. Some days you do five kilometers because there's oh, sorry. Four miles because there's trees in the way. Some days you're on beautiful flat step. The horses feel great. The dog feels great, and you do 30 miles. But the Louise's answer was absolutely correct. There is no there is no goal. The goal is just ethically riding your horses
2: to see how each day goes. Okay, so Pete, what are your plans for each night for you and for the horses? How how do you plan on um you know you're sleeping and you're, you know, managing the horses overnight?
3: Well, our horses tether beautifully and we spend a lot of time preparing them to tether really nicely. Uh, My horse will get fat on the smell of an oily rag. So we, um, we have him on a, uh, sorry, um, just conversions 24 foot tether. Um, and my wife's horse is on a 42 foot tether. So we just we just have a, a, a one and a half foot spike. sorry, I'm just trying to do my conversion. sorry a one You're and a doing half good. Foot, It's one mm-hmm. and a half foot stainless steel spike that we just hammer into the ground. They have their tethers and they just graze in a circle. Um, the boys don't run away, they love us they like we, we are their boundary like we we are like the fence paddock for them uh the tether doesn't restrain the horse so much as it's a physical boundary we we place upon them just like you would with some um, you know your personal space so the boys will happily graze around us with that we supplementary feed when needed with um <clears throat> barley uh, we use like linseed oil things like that we use some um, electrolytes when needed but we just basically we ride until we find good pasture we stop we tether and we sleep right by beside the horses. So go on. I,
5: I want to just add there, like <laughs> we we try to find pasture that doesn't belong. We just doesn't go on a field and just tether the horses there. We are looking for wild patches. We're looking for patches okay. between between fields in like forests where where no one uses that bit of land
3: because it's Europe. It's very built up, and and where needed, we ask permission from farmers.
2: Yes. Okay, okay. So Pete, tell us are there any considerations or concerns that you have going into this with the political climate and some of these countries you'll be riding through?
3: Uh that's actually the best question you've asked. And the short answer is no, absolutely not. Uh, the reason is there's always something. There is always a war. There is always a drama. We rode through COVID. You know, like, there is always something. There's always a reason not to do this. There is always something to be afraid of. But the Russians have a saying, don't drink, don't smoke, still die. You know, I, I mean, we're going. We're going. We'll deal with it. If we mm-hmm. have to change our plan, we'll change our plans. Uh, there's a, a beautiful, uh, very short documentary on YouTube that I wish was longer about these uh, these guys that dressed up in, like, uh sort of old mountain man clothes and rode their horses north. And they said there's no problems, there's only changes of plan. And for us, we both strongly feel, would you agree, Louisa, that that is the only attitude you can really have in long riding? Yes, yeah. if you look for reasons why you shouldn't go, you will find them. Mm-hmm. There are so many so many things going on this on in this world that that are a reason to to just stay home and we choose to just go. And deal with it when we get to it.
2: Wow, do you ride with any weapons?
3: Um, well, I'm in my, my fifth. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I've, no, we we actually we actually take a very different approach to that. Um, we actually carry uh, an Australian flag, and the we find that the that what you send out is what you get back. Okay. And if if you're if you if if you encounter someone with a weapon and you have a weapon, well obviously the, the 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 tension's going to escalate. Now we've been in some some very difficult situations, but when you bring out a flag that is covered in signatures of all the people you've met along the way, and you try and include them and make them part of your journey and make them feel loved, make them feel special, we're not the kind of people they want to hurt,
4: mm-hmm. and
3: that's... That's our whole goal. Our goal is to to promote ethical equestrian travel and just share the love. We want everyone that we we encounter along the way to feel a part of this journey and feel love. And having a rifle across the front of your your body doesn't really send the same doesn't
2: messages. convey that, right? Right? No.
3: So we we approach all hostility we've encountered with with love. It's worked for us, Haley.
2: Yeah. Okay, Luisa, are you going? Are you guys going to be recording this in any way or posting
5: on social media? Yes, we have. Well, like I think we started social media when we went to Turkey, like three years ago. No, Kazakhstan,
3: Kazakhstan. Because yeah. we, we had our YouTube in Kazakhstan
5: there, but yeah. So the whole like we we record everything like more or less everything (laughs) and put like little updates on YouTube. There are little videos. Also we post on Facebook, on an Instagram. So we do keep on, we do keep people posted who are interested and yeah, documented that way.
2: Okay. Um, And so what's the best way if somebody would like to follow you?
5: It depends what they, what they prefer. Like I, I think the best work we do our, our little YouTube videos because we, pop them up whenever something interesting happens like when we're on the road like every one or two weeks
3: but we don't force content we're not people that just produce content for the sake of content if people would like to find us our, our webpage is dub um, dub um, dub be professional look coolcom um, and it's just our going joke that like we neither look professional or are cool. So it, it's kind of a long story, but um, that, that's, that's our webpage, and you can find us on Instagram and YouTube and Facebook just by searching Be Professional, Look Cool. But we, we really do strive for honesty. Um, all of our failures are up there. Everything we get wrong is up and open for discussion, uh, and we really do appreciate uh, genuine feedback from, from people that, that know better or know differently and we, we don't hide any aspect of our trip. None of it. It's it's all up for uh, public criticism.
2: Okay, good yeah. for you. We'll put links in, in our show notes um, to your social media for you. Uh, when when do you plan on setting off on this trip?
3: 20th. 20th the 20th of, the
2: of May. Okay.
3: Yeah. All About so right. got, got 10 days of prep left. Um, in the last few days, we've had uh, the dentist, the vet. We've had the vet again. We've had the physio. Uh, we've got another, um, like a, a scoot boots, hoof shoe specialist fitter coming out to put some um, scoot boot skins on on Marengo. Um, uh, sorry, that's my horse. Louise's horse is riding in the Enduros that scoot boots do this year. And we want to make sure that everything's fitted correctly and that we've taken every single possible step to do this as ethically and as sensibly as possible. Um, But yeah, we've got 10 more days of prep, 10 more days of packing up things here and and then we're off.
2: Okay, and one more question I have, um, just out of um, curiosity here, when you're traveling through all of these various countries, what kind of paperwork do you need for your horses? Like, whole paperwork and stuff.
5: Well, there is the paperwork that you should have, and there's the paperwork on the ground. As long riders, we fall a little bit in a gray zone. So, most regulations are made for people taking their horse and trailers to competitions, which we are not really falling under. So, right. It is, mm-hmm. We just went on a long riding meeting in, um, in, in Germany and we discussed quite a lot about it. So, the answer is it's a grey area. What we make sure that our horses um, have all the important vaccinations.
3: And. But not just for our horses, but for the horses that they encounter along the way. The last thing we want to do is damage someone's livelihood. Uh, kill someone's beloved racehorse or pet or anything like that. Right. Mm-hmm. So horse, uh, from our standpoint, vet uh, cleared to, to travel everywhere. But as long as we're in the EU, it's pretty easy. But when you go into something like Switzerland or Bulgaria, Romania, which is still in the EU, but it's a bit, what are they, non-Schengen zone? Non-Schengen zone. Yeah.
5: Non-Schengenstein.
3: yeah. Um, there are a few tests and things that you're required to have. But for the most part, oh in the eu it's it's really easy
2: okay so are you doing is the ride going to be a point to point and if so how will you get home again when you get to the finish
3: no we're riding back here we're doing you're
2: writing back okay.
3: We're, doing, okay we're doing two loops um we've done a lot of you know one point to another point um i mean that's certainly how we got to germany but we're in a wonderful location And for us doing like a long, we considered riding to Spain. Uh, We'll probably do that next year and um, maybe buy a pub on the Camino Trail there. And yeah, I I don't know. But um, for the moment, doing a loop is the logical thing to do because we have the, the wild herds of European bison. We have bears, we have wolves, we have lynx, we have elk, we have deer, we have forests, we have all of the best bits of Eastern Europe just right next to us. So we can ride through them. Uh, We will go to 10 different countries this year. And and it's just another incredible opportunity that's right on our doorstep. And we would be foolish. We both feel we would be foolish to look further afield and try and ride to a, a point in the distance.
2: Okay, that makes sense. Well, we are going to be looking forward to following you on your adventure. And we wish you the best of luck. And thank you for joining us this morning
0: train with top hunter jumper and eventing professionals anytime anywhere with practical horsemen on demand your membership gives you access to hundreds of how to training videos taught by top level hunter jumper equitation and eventing pros exclusive interviews and lectures slow motion demonstrations insider access to private clinics and lessons and step by step tutorials New content is always being rolled out, so there are always new videos available on the topics important to you. Join now for just 24.99 a month and take your training to the next level with Practical Horseman on demand.
2: Our next guest this morning is Becky Pierman. Becky is a very popular and talented ride photographer in the Southeast region of the American Endurance Ride Conference. She's also got a long history with horses, having worked at the Disney World for 25 years with them. So, Becky is going to join us today and give us some tips as riders on how to look good and look our best when riding by a ride photographer, and maybe we can get some tips out of her on how to photograph our own horses. So, thank you, Becky, for joining us. How are you doing this morning?
0: Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you.
2: Okay, so give us a little bit on your background. How did you get involved with photographing uh, horses?
0: Well, um, my story goes back to um, when I was a child. Um, I am a a child of of nine kids, and my father was really into uh, hobby type photography. And he passed away the the summer I was thirteen, and my mother let me have his camera, and I have never looked back. Uh, By the time I was age fourteen or fifteen, I was taking pictures of all my friends' horses, and um, I would go to By 17, I was going to competitive trail rides, taking my friends' pictures, and they kept telling me, you should be selling these, Becky. And so I started kind of as a hobby type thing, uh, selling them, probably got my first uh, um, money for selling a photo at the age of um, 19, I believe. And I just have never looked back of that.
2: Was this before digital cameras?
0: Oh yes, <laughs> that was a thirty. <laughs> his was a thirty-five millimeter Zeiss Icon camera, and I still have that camera. Um, but yes, it, it it was definitely thirty-five millimeter, Dave. Okay, and then how did you come to start
2: photographing endurance rides? Um,
0: th- I was living in Florida then, and um, I as i kept doing these competitive rides i kept having offers to come and shoot some of the budding endurance rides and this was the first one i remember doing um was the florida classic and that was in 1988 and um i again i I had some friends like the Rojeks, steve and dina Rojek, that were always taking me under wing and they kept encouraging me to if I couldn't ride a ride for some reason, I would go and photograph it. And so that's how I ended up. And it just kept budding to where I kept going up into Georgia and doing a lot in Florida and Georgia. And as the years went by, I kept expanding <laughs> to the point that now I've photographed endurance in 27 different states. Oh, wow. Wow.
2: Wow, that's mm-hmm. neat. So tell us real quick about your history with working with horses at Disney World.
0: Well, I started that job um, at the age of 17, right out of high school. And um, I kept trying to get in the barn. I started as a lifeguard. And they said I had to be 18. So as soon as I turned 18, I pestered them <laughs> until I got on with the horses. And... Um, uh, it, I didn't plan to really stay there. I was going to community college and such and it ended up evolving into a career. Um, but within the next like 10 or 12 years I got promoted from just doing like stable work, parades, any of that kind of things that we did with the horses, the trail rides. and it ended up being where I got promoted into management and then I was like um, buying and, and selling. The horses. I was overseeing parades, and we traveled some with the horses and things like that.
2: Wow, so it was neat a great career! Wow, I bet that was kind of exciting too. All the stuff you got to
0: see. Oh yes, I got to do a lot of different things, especially in the travel part of it and going to buy horses in different states. And we had to find some places that we would buy the draft horses from and. So I got to travel several times a year just doing stuff like that. And then we did parades and we did carriage rides and various things mm-hmm. like that. Neat.
2: Okay. So let's get to the fun part. Uh, okay. We want to get your tips on as, as an endurance writer for riding along during an endurance ride and we come up on the ride photographer, what should we do to get a good photo?
0: Well, um, Many of us do put out a sign. I mean, just um, for beginning uh, part of it, is we put out a sign that would say photographer head and please spread out, or at least I Mm -hmm. have one that I do like that. And so some people misinterpret that to mean like they need a huge gap, but most of photographers that are used to shooting any kind of speed type events don't need a lot of space but um, I would just recommend trying to spread out just a little bit maybe one or two horse distances to be able to for us to frame up the shot that we need and that to me that it doesn't matter whether you're trotting galloping whatever but just give us that little bit of space and um, spread out so that we're not getting another horse in the shot if you don't want the other horse in the shot. So that's one of the first tips. Another thing is a lot of, um, especially women, will be like, oh, I look heavy in this picture and I don't like that. And a lot of times the way you dress has something to do with that. Like if you're going to wear t-shirts, like a large baggy t-shirt just uh, only makes that worse. Um, So I recommend a nice uh, tight-fitting shirt that um, is sculpted around your waist and if you have it tucked in and you are thin, that's probably not too big of a problem. But if you want to just hide your belly, because <laughs> I get this a lot. People ask me, uh-huh. can you Photoshop me out or <laughs> Photoshop my belly out? But um, if you're using a sculpted type shirt worn to the outside, it's usually not a uh, not a problem. And it will help slim you down in the photos. And right. um, go ahead.
2: I was just going to say, and then some of the other issues we have is uh, a lot of the photographers take the photos in the morning when it's cold. So we're wearing jackets.
0: Right. And so, I suppose the same thing could apply there. If your jacket is more of the sculpted fit, uh-huh. it, it will help not, you know, to make the, the body type look larger in a photo. Um, so. Right, yeah, I mean, right. And as far as um, if you're back to the spacing out part, if you're wanting to have two horses in, in the photo, um, the best way to set that up is uh, for the horse that's on the outside furthest away from me you're the photographer to be just a little bit ahead of the inside horse. And then that shot just looks very balanced and you'll have both horses in it. And um, again, just remember sort of spacing out from any other horses that are um, in front of you or coming up from behind, and we should be able to get that shot because a lot of uh, my regular riders like to have their photo made with two horses in it or Mm -hmm. sometimes even three. So that's another tip
2: about spacing. Okay, what about getting yourself together?
0: Um, Most of the time, There's people that uh, the new end thing, I guess, is to wave or to take both hands off the reins. And that is just up to you whether you want that type of a shot. I think that a shot looks the best if a rider's smiling, but focused on where you're going down the trail and probably not, you know, maybe one-handed wave's okay. But sometimes what happens with that is your hand blocks your face from the photographer. Right, um, right. That happens a lot. So most people are not happy with a waving shot when they actually see it, the final product. Okay, so, okay. I I recommend just a nice, smiling, focused look, like you're having fun going down the trail and, um, you know, staying in tune with the horse, try to keep him balanced and collected. Um, I have some ways that I try on the trail to not spook a horse, but get him to put his ears up. And so I'll be wor- working on that if you're just working on, you know, collecting your horse and going down the trail like you're having fun and uh, staying focused, but not looking like you're nervous or those type of things.
2: Right. And sitting up and getting your heels down and. Correct. Um, t- right. Okay. <laughs>
0: And that's part of the reason I do like to put the sign out is because that way a rider at least knows I'm coming up. Now I have some riders say, I think my horse reads your sign. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> it, you know, I, I assume that's because the rider picks up a different collective way of riding and the horse naturally says, Oh, there's something coming up, you know? Sure. But yes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, paying attention to your own position is definitely going to make a better shot if you're, you know, sitting up and looking relaxed and focused. Yes, I remember back
2: early on when I first started in the sport and when we would be lucky enough to have a right photographer, we had to wait for weeks to get the proofs in the mail before we could order. So how do you manage that part of selling your right photos?
0: Well, one of the things that I think that I'm pretty much different about than anybody else's I am still printing on site I have this total mobile office in my RV Nice.
2: and Uh uh,
0: yes I've I've never swayed away from the way I started this business which was I would run to Walmart even in the 35 millimeter days and make prints and bring them back to camp
3: Mm -hmm. and
0: I still once I evolved to where this is more than half my income, I ended up um, making this little mobile office and buying commercial printers. So I still print on site and these writers just come up so they don't have to wait at all. And they still tell me they love to have prints. But I also have the website so people who prefer digitals, maybe the younger generation, they can go on and get the digitals.
2: Okay, good, good. Yes, I love our ride photographers here out in the West Region. They do that as well. So we're always mm-hmm. able to pick up our photos before we head home.
0: Good, good.
2: Yeah, it's really nice because, you know, it's so easy to get distracted if you go home and and you don't have access to see your photos even for weeks. Right. So it's really wonderful. I really appreciate you guys that that have them available to us so quickly. That's great. Okay. So what tips can you give us if we're our own person at home and we just want to take some photos of our horses? Have you got any tips for us there?
0: Well, yes. As far as, um, the first thing in photography is really all about light, you know? So if, if it's a bright sunny day in the middle of the day, you're gonna be casting shadows in places you probably don't want them. So I always recommend putting your horse in the shade. It seems like it's counterproductive, but it's it's not. So try setting your horse up where he's not out in bright sun or you utilize early morning light or late evening light, um, but use shade as much as possible. And then you're gonna not deal with harsh, you know, sh- sun and shadows and everything. Um, the next thing with horses is trying to, um, position them so that they're going slightly uphill and in the front end. And that's anything that I do that. If I'm on the trail and I'm in a flat place, um, usually there is some type of a little incline that'll lift the front end of a horse up, even just the slightest bit. And he'll look just more powerful. Um, -hmm. so those type of things. And of course, we all probably know the thing about wanting their ears up and
2: right. You can uh-huh. just
0: use um, <clears throat> you can use a baggie, a shopping baggie on a stick or something to get a horse's ears up without freaking them out. Um, as far as going down the trail, once again, if you were out on trail as a photographer, you just want to make sure you're not behind a tree or a bush or something that they're just going to, come out of the blue and go, Oh my gosh, there's somebody there. Right. Um, so I mm-hmm. always make sure I'm visible to a horse. And if I do have to be close to the trail, I talk to them is they're coming down the trail towards me. I'm going to make okay. sure that I'm saying something. People thank me a lot for saying something to the horse so that, um, yes. it knows I'm there uh-huh. and they can relax. But,
2: yes. Yes. And so, it's always good to check out the background.
0: True. True. You you definitely wouldn't want a cluttered background of uh vehicles or a, and
2: or a telephone pole sticking up out. right above. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's true. Yes. So, so, so obviously with horses, you know, a nice open field or or if like in the east we deal with it's all green trees, but you know, hopefully you can use ones that aren't like a tree coming out of the horse's back or whatever, but um, sure we have we have a lot of bushes and such that make nice backdrops,
2: right. Now, do you have very many ride photographers in your region?
0: um we we do. I mean, I tend to cover most of the southeast region, but mm-hmm. um, yes, we um uh, Maria Phillips covers Florida. Um, Jessica Jones is in Georgia, and she'll go around and And the nice thing is sometimes if i I just had a family event that I had to ask uh, Dom and Mike Turner up in the Northeast region to cover an event. So there's about four or five of us that do it, but, uh, you know, at least part-time, some of them. And uh, But Maria covers most of Florida, and they have a lot of events, especially in the winter. Oh, good. So most of your rides
2: are covered with some yeah. Some- Photographer, yes. good. I, That's
0: terrific. I would say all, all of them really are. It's very rare in the southeast region or northeast area that something's not covered. Oh, good,
2: good. And so, the best people to find you for your photos is on Smug Mug.
0: Yes, yes. Okay, it's, it's just my name, Becky
2: Okay, great. Well, thanks for joining us, and thanks for the tips this morning, Becky.
0: Okay, you're welcome. Hope to see y'all out on trail one of these days. Yeah, I hope so, too. (laughs) As horse
2: owners, we spend a lot of time on the road. Let U.S. Rider help keep you covered. Our equestrian motor plan offers fast, reliable, nationwide service from our highly trained roadside assistance team. 24-7 coverage for both you and your horse. Membership includes horse trailer servicing, towing, flat tire repair, even on dual wheels, battery assistance, and lockout service on any vehicle in your plan. We also have your equine companions covered with referrals for emergency vet services, barrier referrals, and emergency stabling assistance. Get peace of mind on the road for you and your horse. Join U.S. Rider today. Well, Jennifer, you might run into Becky at a ride one of these days. I might. I had to
1: go back and look at old at her pictures to see if I, I was in any of them. <laughs>
4: <laughs> there
2: you go.
1: <laughs> Wait a minute. Oh that's great. I, and I, I buy I go I go to competitions so rarely that right. I always buy the picture.
2: <laughs> yes. So where is the photo that you've got here where you're cantering?
1: That is at McCully Farm. That was my very first one.
2: Oh, okay. Oh, you're doing really good for your very first one there. Yeah,
1: it was an exciting day. Let me tell you, (laughs) he was really pretty good at that one. He hadn't figured out what was going on. He just thought we were going for a trail ride. Um, and you'll notice that I Uh had, unlike you and your hackamore, I had a pelham on him. (laughs) 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 Otherwise, we were going to be passing everybody.
2: You look like you were working on your upper body strength there too, a little bit. A little
1: bit. A little bit. (laughs) Bridge those reins. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, Yeah, and then you know things things went downhill from there. But yeah, that was there. And yeah, every ride I've gone to that had a photographer, I bought one of the pictures every time. Oh, good,
2: good. Most of the time, I look terrible, and I don't care. (laughs) But as long as the horse looks good, that's all that matters.
1: It was really convenient. It was the, I think it was the second ride I went to. The photographer put a sign out now in the one that's on my profile. She was out in the middle of a field, so you could see her. But she had put a sign up. And we're just cruising along, and Nigel decided he needed to spook at the photographer, <laughs> and she actually got Uh-oh. the pictures of me spooking in a, in sequence, so uh-huh. I bought them all. <laughs> it's hilarious. Oh,
0: good, good,
2: good. It's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I have a couple of those myself where we're off to the side in a ditch.
1: <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. And
2: it's, it's so funny because
1: he's not a spooky horse, but when he's moving at speed and there's a person in the woods, he'll spook uh-huh. at the person.
2: Oh, okay. Wow.
1: Deer, nope. <laughs> Ty, wild pigs, no problem. What just but a person that doesn't belong there? That person in the bright yellow jacket sitting in a lawn chair doesn't belong here.
2: Oh, how funny. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yeah, that was a lot of fun. That's really great tips though for being the person getting their picture taken. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 So, if somebody wants to go to a ride so they can get their picture taken, where do they go to find that?
2: Go to AERC.org and then look up the ride calendar. And then you can search by region, I believe, or by state and scroll through the ride calendar and see what's near you. And if you're not able to ride, we are always welcoming volunteers. So, please go do that as well. You will learn a lot. Consider volunteering. It's a big party. Yes. There we go. And for links to
1: today's guests, and we're going to look for our show notes. You're going to get those at horsesinthemorning.com. You can follow us on Facebook. Our Facebook handle is Horses in the Morning, duh. On Twitter, we are Horse Radio. And many, many thanks to our sponsors on today's show. Without them, we couldn't do it. The Distance Depot, U.S. Rider, Practical Horseman Magazine, and Spalding Fly Predators. You just put some of those out, didn't you? I sure did. woo